died or left the TARDIS. I'm not planning to do either, but the way we live means a lot can happen we've not planned for. Anyway, whichever it is, I hope you and Ian can help Grandfather look forward when I'm gone. You see, I worry what he might do without me. Keep him safe, and if I have died... Make sure he does nothing to change that. You remember Grandfather once said you couldn't change history, Barbara. Well, that's not really true if you think about it. Marco Polo would be someone you'd never heard of, who achieved nothing if we hadn't saved his life all those times. Just by being in a place you have an impact. Every little action has a consequence. Usually they're swept away, smoothed over, but sometimes you really can change history. And that's dangerous. If you change it too much, you change your present and everyone else's future too. There was a time, long before Grandfather and I first met you, when I was tempted to change the past. And it wasn't so long ago, really. Not for you. I don't imagine it even counted as proper history in Coal Hill exam terms. We were looking for somewhere to stay a while. Grandfather had this long packing case he was always fiddling with in his workroom. It had some kind of machine inside that he wanted to do something with, and for some reason, 20th Century Earth was where he decided he should do it. <laughs> well, you know how erratic the ship is. We never seem to quite arrive in the right bit of history for Grandfather's machine. Half the time we ended up in the distant or too far in the future, or out in space by some portal to another universe that simply had to be explored, or in the middle of a war. Sometimes wherever we landed just wasn't quite right. I don't suppose you and Ian think it's so odd, having grown up there, but there's something a bit strange about the way the TARDIS keeps coming back to Earth. It's not a terribly important planet, really, but we somehow seem to end up there every second journey. I'm never quite sure if that's something Grandfather's doing or if it's the ship somehow. This time, we'd arrived in a long cobbled street with high grey brick buildings on either side, blocking out the sun. It certainly looked like 20th century Earth, but a lot of times and places do. The air was cold. Frozen laundry hung on lines across the road, 
and someone somewhere was cooking cabbage. The ship was disguised as an advertising pillar this time, the sort you see with posters on in the centre of big cities. Perhaps not quite the right size and shape, and probably not quite at home in an area like this. But strangely, it didn't seem too incongruous. Grandfather tutted. Shame the circuit hasn't emulated the local posters very clearly. It might have helped us identify this place, he said. The advertisements on the pillar were just a blur of fuzzy shapes. It's supposed to detect people's expectations. Perhaps it's picked up ours. By a railway bridge at the road's end, we finally spotted posters the city rather than the ship had provided. All were torn or defaced in some way. One promised food and work for those voting list one and showed thin arms reaching for tools offered from above. The surviving edge of another showed a fat man smiling, though what about was unclear. Someone had drawn horns on him, for whatever reason. One poster declared Talman the worker's candidate. Another said he was an agent of foreign powers. Several stated Herr Papen had destroyed the economy, but they all suggested voting different ways to counter this. They were plastered in a sea of initials, printed, daubed on top, crossed out, Z, DVP, KPD, NSDAP, SPD. A lot of Ds, Grandfather nodded. I know when and where we are now. The D is for Deutschland. This is Germany. I believe around November 1932. Is that during the war? You'll think I'm a terrible student, Barbara, but I've never been as good on dates as Grandfather. Grandfather shook his head. Not quite yet. It's in the wind, but not yet. That bombing we were caught in was 1941, remember? I told you about that, didn't I? Our little adventure in the London Blitz. It wasn't quite as bad as the Zeppelin raid in the Great War, but it shook us both up a bit. I've made quite a study of this period, Grandfather continued. An extraordinary time. I wonder... He grabbed suddenly at a bearded little man rushing by us. Is this Berlin, my man? The bearded gentleman looked at him in bewilderment. I'm afraid so, he said. No matter how much you drink. And hurried away. Grandfather clapped his hands together. Marvellous! Do you realise who is currently ensconced in this city, child? Uh, Hitler? Hindenburg? Far more important names than those, Grandfather explained. Einstein, Heisenberg, Planck, Schrödinger, Wigner. Some of the greatest scientific thinkers of any age in the world's history. The people who will build the future of planet Earth. Ian would know who Grandfather meant, I expect. I think he even got some of their names right. We followed the rail bridge to a nearby train station with a big city map outside. Grandfather studied it intently. We are here, it appears, in the district of Vedding. He pointed to a section just above the map's centre. And, if I recall correctly, somewhere down here, he gestured vaguely to the bottom left of the map is where all the city's scientific establishments were. Ah, quite so, he replied and started mumbling, trying to recall details of records I imagine he'd accessed decades ago when he simply watched the universe from afar. 
I couldn't make a lot of sense of the map. It was all about what railway lines served what places as far as I could see. If you didn't already know Berlin, it wasn't much use. But the sheer number of stations marked between Wedding and where Grandfather wanted to head was a worry. It looks quite a walk. Walk, child? We've this locomotive network. But we've no money. Grandfather had a solution, of course. Back in the ship, he dug around in one of his chests, producing a big bag of gold coins we'd acquired on a previous trip to Earth. Roman aurei from the time of Augustus. Won't we need modern coins? No, no. Gold's a universal currency in this era. It underpins all Earth's finances. We can simply exchange some of these Roman coins for contemporary ones. I've never really understood why you Earth people like gold so much. It's a pretty enough metal, I suppose, and useful if you're fighting off certain things. But I still can't see why everything always comes back to it. Anyway, near the railway station was a run of shops, though they'd mostly seen better days. A woman was wiping messages from the window of one. Special offer notices, I suppose. The one next door was boarded up entirely. Eventually, we found a small jeweler's. It was dark inside. Just a single electric lamp near a man at the counter. He stood up quickly as we entered and scuttered over. I thought at first he was quite short. And then I realised he had a permanent stoop. Tourists. I think we might have looked a little taken aback. Forgive me, your clothing, a detail in my professional eye. Very astute, said Grandfather. Yes, we are indeed newly arrived, sir. And that, in fact, is why we've come to your fine shop. It wasn't a fine shop at all. We'd like to change some money, I explained. I'm afraid we're not a bank, Fräulein. Yet you deal in gold, surely? As it happens, I do. Herr Strittmatter. He offered his hand, and Grandfather shook it uncertainly in that way he used to before he got used to the custom. Delighted. I'm the doctor. <laughs> Just that? Yes. A man of mystery, eh? Like Caligari or Mabus. Grandfather politely agreed he was, though I'm sure he'd no idea what Strittmutter was talking about. <laughs> I thought for a moment you could look at my back here. <laughs> Grandfather bristled slightly. Grandfather's not that kind of doctor, I'm afraid. He's uh, a doctor of science, I explained. Mm, makes sense. So, what's your business in Berlin, Herr Doctor? Your normal tourist doesn't spend much time in the wedding. I mean, there's things you can pick up cheap here, but you and your lady friend don't seem that type. Grandfather wants to meet up with some scientists. There are some intellects presently at work in this city it would please me greatly to converse with. Hmm. These are very good, you know. No sign of compression over there. They look almost new. I smiled at Grandfather. They've been well looked after. I understand. You'd not come to a little jeweler like me if you'd wanted a lot of questions asking, would you? We didn't answer. See? You appreciate I can't give full value. This is a poor country these days, and straight after Christmas... I... We just want a fair price, really. I'd haggled before, and I hated it. Of course. 
And thank goodness you came to a good German jeweler. More than a few in this district who try to take you for a ride. Strittmatter went to a drawer and started pulling out banknotes. Far more than I'd expected. I had no idea of the currency, but there were a lot of noughts on them. How's that? Could we have some small coins, too? I said, not wanting to reveal my ignorance. We want to take a train to the southwest of the city. I'll throw in a few extra marks. I can't blame you, what with times as they are. Assume it's a Dahlem you want? Sorry? For the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute. That's where all the scientists in the southwest are. Dahlem? Hmm. The very district. I can run you down if you like. There's, uh, what you call it, uh, they hold there twice weekly, uh, colloquium. They'll all be there today. Well, there's really no need. No trouble at all. Business is always quiet in January. A friend has a taxi I can borrow. Thank you, but I'm sure we can manage the train. Oh, no. It takes forever. U-Bahn, S-Bahn. Such a fuss when you're new in town and worse than the streets for pickpockets. <laughs> All crushed up against who knows who. No, no. I couldn't let you go by train. Grandfather didn't seem to have noticed my caution. You know the way? Of Professional interest in metallurgy. Not your level, naturally. But it would be... Idiotic not keeping up in my line. Then we accept your offer. Ah, wunderbar. I'll have to charge for fuel, of course. But no more than cost, and a little for my friend, I promise. Grandfather and Herr Strittmatter shook hands again. He was starting to get the hang of it now. Herr Strittmatter's friend's taxi turned out to be quite old and not to have a meter attached. It was being repaired, he said, and with things as they were, there was little rush to get it mended. We passed a few trams and bicycles and the occasional horse and cart on our journey, but hardly any other cars. It was a good job, too. Bent double over the steering wheel, Herr Strittmatter was not the most reassuring driver. It's been a while. Get out of the road, you idiot! Is he right? Just drunk. Drink in the day to pass the time. Why? They say there is a job you can do when the free shit comes out. Can you get there? Hmm? Can you prove you can do it? Hmm? There'll be a fit, sober man at the factory gates before men like that can focus on the newsprint. No wonder they're unemployed. Look at the road, you sot! There seem to be a lot of unemployed here. Yeah, so they say. You hear a third of a million in Berlin. A hundred thousand have no handouts, yet they all live somehow. How many beggars do you see around you? A few hundred? <laughs> they must all work some way or another, even if the law and tax man don't see it. You think the situation is overstated? Oh, no. It's bad, don't get me wrong. Been a hard Christmas in my life. But insects still thrive in the barest kitchen, don't they? <laughs> A fleel still suck your blood in the gutter. Out of the way, Dumpkops! Can't the authorities do anything? <laughs> what authorities? No one's in charge. Two elections in five months, and no majority. Just coalitions no one wants. Madness. Someone just needs to take control. Oh, what's the matter with these idiots? Perhaps if you drove a little slower, they'd find it easier to get out of your way here, Strittmatter. <laughs> 
we'd get nowhere. They'd lie down and sleep in our path. The only thing gets this lot off the street are the brown shirts. Brown shirts? Uh, Hitler's private army, Susan. The SA. He says the real army is too corrupt. They do a decent job. Sure, they're part of his daft Bavarian lot, but they do the things the police won't dare. Keep the Bolshevists in check. Impose a bit of traditional decency with the odd clout on the head. There'd be no idiots like these about, with a few brown shirts on patrol. Vicious thugs, muttered Grandfather, as we swerved to dodge a pair of men in the street who were either dancing or fighting. After a while, our surroundings started to change. More cars joined us on the streets and trees began to appear along the roadside. Behind them, the buildings slowly became more ornate and less oppressively tall and crammed together. The pedestrians changed too. The city centre drunks giving way to men and women in more colourful clothes with heads held higher. A few minutes later, we pulled up outside a grand building with a pillared portico and a nest of linked roofs. Herr Strittmatter straightened up as best he could. Here we are then. And he's I'm still calling it Kaiser Wilhelm, isn't it? Get rid of the Kaiser, keep his name. Uh, what a world. We thanked Strittmatter and paid him for his trouble as we clambered out of his car. He helped us pick out the right banknotes and pressed a bit of paper into my hand. Call me if you're coming back to wedding. I'll be near this telephone, I guarantee. And cheaper and more willing than anyone you'll hire here. Wedding's not somewhere Dahlem drivers know. Grandfather took a look at the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute building, noticing for the first time security men at its doors. Street matter, before you go, how would you advise we affect entry to this colloquium? Hmm? Uh, might you write us a letter of introduction? <laughs> the only notes of introduction you'll need are these. He waved a few of the notes he'd taken from us and hiccuped the old taxi back into life. wasn't quite right about that. The men at the door weren't entirely impressed by Grandfather offering them money when they asked for his credentials. They were big, muscular types who looked wrong in their smart suits and didn't strike me as having much interest in science. Remind me who's in charge here? Director Harbour, one of the doormen replied. I don't think he'd meant to, but something in Grandfather's tone made him blurt it out. Harbour. Grandfather closed his eyes, summoning up some recollection. Then, with a smile, began scribbling a mass of pencil formulae onto one of the banknotes he'd offered the doorman. Would you present that to Herr Harbour, my man, and tell him one of his greatest admirers is here? He passed the note to the more communicative doorman. He looked at the scrawl, uncomprehending for a moment, then walked away laughing. <laughs> Scientists. I think that may have been our letter of introduction. What did you write? A description of Fritz Haber's process for the synthesis of ammonia. He won the Nobel Prize for it. He put his hand to his mouth. At least, I think that was the process. I do hope I haven't improved on it. Grandfather? Oh, come now, child. I'm joking. I think he probably was. 
I hope so anyway. Grandfather told me all about Fritz Harbour while we waited. I expect you already know about him. He was considered a German hero at the time, Grandfather explained. Synthesizing ammonia had made modern fertilizers possible and ended starvation across the world. Billions of people owed their lives to his work. Well, that doesn't make him a German hero. That makes him an international one, surely. Grandfather explained the process had also meant Germany could synthesize its own gunpowder. Germany wouldn't have dared go to war in 1914 without harbor, he said. Very nearly won them that war, too. How? He was saved explaining further by Herr Harbour's arrival. So, you're the gentleman who so admires my work, he memorizes it, and ruins a good 50 mark bill, said Harbour. I'm honored. He was a short man with a bushy moustache and round spectacles, whose head seemed too small for his shoulders somehow. Grandfather smiled. An elegant formula doesn't need to be memorized, sir. Once known, it becomes inevitable. Harbour grabbed Grandfather's hand and ushered us eagerly into the Institute. The august gathering of scientists was taking place in a long, high-ceilinged room, the air thick with tobacco smoke. I was surprised more than anything by how young these supposedly great men were. I'd seen enough of Earth by now not to be surprised how few women there were. Eager youths in baggy suits were milling about laughing, chatting, whispering gossip in corners and casting sideways looks around at a few older men holding court. It wasn't what I'd imagined a colloquium would be at all. Is Heisenberg here? Grandfather asked. I'm not certain, said Harper. He was a moment ago, but you know how fast Werner is. I never know where he is. Young men around us smiled keenly for reasons I couldn't quite fathom. Grandfather smiled too and asked after Einstein. Left for America just before Christmas. Grandfather looked a little crestfallen before consoling himself that the move was perhaps for the best. I suppose he was imagining Hitler with Einstein at his command. Harbour whisked Grandfather off to meet some plank or other and a phalanx of young men closed in around me as if I was as exotic as some newly discovered particle and began engaging me in awfully unimaginative conversation. After a short while, I made an excuse to get away. These men were all very clever in their way, I'm sure, but I always find it hard not to correct people when they've got things wrong. I told Grandfather I needed some air. He just nodded, deep in conversation about some theory he already knew was nonsense, and waved me away with a smile. Outside the Institute, children were playing hopscotch on the pavement, but as soon as they saw me, they stopped and rushed over, eager to do something for me. Fetch a paper, shine shoes, sell me something, anything. There were too many voices to hear all their suggestions. I realized they wanted money and were desperate to do anything that might earn some, so I asked for directions to a cafe. They eagerly obliged, and after a small dispute between them, pointed me to one that they said was good nearby. I gave the children a small selection of coins from my pocket, and I could see at once I'd been too generous. Their eyes lit up as they ran away to divide the spoils. The cafe they pointed me to was just a few minutes' walk down a side street, lined with evergreens. It was bright and airy inside, though the cakes were far more exciting than the coffee. They didn't do any with froth on. I sat there for a while with a pastry and a coffee, watching people stroll by the window. Dahlem was a different world to Wedding, 
well-to-do Berliners hand in hand, eager young men with books under their arms, grand ladies walking tiny little dogs as extravagantly groomed as themselves. I watched a laughing young girl in furs lead an old man by the arm as he struggled to keep pace with her and wondered if Grandfather and I ever looked like them to the world. Do you mind if I sit here? A very handsome young man was dropping all sorts of paraphernalia onto a chair by my table. A box wrapped in paper and string, a newspaper and a huge folder secured with a belt. No, not at all. He carried on talking as he headed to the counter. You're English, aren't you? Well, not exactly. We travel. We've been in England quite a lot, though. Thought so. Something about the way you hold yourself. Refreshingly foreign. I'm English. It shows, doesn't it? <laughs> Pollitt. Susan. Delighted. I say, you're not an actress by any chance. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, thank the powers. It's just that you have that look, you know, that trying-too-hard-to-seem-normal look. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, don't apologise. Just good at spotting it. It's how I make most of my friends. Here, have another coffee. Yours is almost gone. You'd make a good actress, I think. Big dark eyes, cheekbones, pale skin. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? They like that on film here, but not so much in life. I expect it looks better in black and white. I didn't really know what to make of Pollitt, so I just drank my coffee and smiled. He seemed to like an audience. Thank you. I'm surrounded by actresses here. Cafes, bars, nightclubs. Sometimes I have to go to the theatre to get away from them all. <laughs> and the theatre here is ghastly. Makes one long for Bernard Shaw. Imagine. If it isn't Sturm and Drang, it's the most tedious agitprop. There's one actress girl I know. Pollitt eventually said he was an artist. Berlin was good for art, apparently. There were all sorts of movements and things happening there. Expressionism, cubism, primitivism. I don't know how many other isms. He came over as a sculptor, but had taken up painting when he had to take a top-floor room. first time you take a big block of stone up five stories, it seems a bit of a jape, but it soon palls. So, what brings you to Berlin, Susan? The nightlife, the boys, the politics? Science. My grandfather wanted to see the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute. I left him there with Director Harbour just now. I expect they're talking about positrons or something. Oh, he's got in to see Harbour. Must be quite a big wheel, your grandpapa. Popular chap for a Jew, Herr Harbour. What difference does being a Jew make? Oh, Susan, really, this is Berlin, not Barnet. They blame the Jews for their money collapsing in the 20s. They blame the Jews for the Soviets trying to cause revolution here. They blame the Jews for Americans treating this city like an adult's fairground. They blame the Jews for losing the Great War. If they stub their toes in the street, they blame the Jews. It's been a hobby here for centuries. They only forgive Harbour because he's so famously a patriot and he was smart enough to renounce his faith to get on. I was beginning to feel a little peculiar, as if something I'd eaten had disagreed with me. Everything seemed a bit too bright. Nothing quite sounded right. Excuse me, Pollitt. I stood up and took a moment to adjust. It was hard to focus. Are you all right, young lady? You look a mite wobbly. I should get back to Grandfather. Let me help. Pollitt took my arm and helped steer me out of the cafe. Thank her. Now I was like the old man being led by the girl through the streets, struggling to keep my balance. I was dimly aware of being looked at. Thank you, this time of the day. Pollitt and I were suddenly surrounded by the children I'd met before. They seemed concerned. Are you all right, Fräulein? I don't 
told them I'd be fine, though by now I could hardly see. I just wanted to get back to Grandfather. As we neared the Institute, I became aware of more people. People who smelled of tobacco, with loud, self-important voices. The cream of Berlin's scientific elite were spilling out into the streets, their back-slapping session at an end. Amongst them, I thought I heard Grandfather's voice on the wind. Forcing myself to focus, I could just make him out on the pavement ahead, still deep in conversation with Director Harbour. Seconds later, a motor car pulled up by his side. There were angry voices. Unhand us, sir! Security men ran forward from the crowd, reacting to the noise, our doormen among them. It seemed Grandfather and Harbour were being dragged into the car. Stop! I cried out. Grandfather spun around, catching my eye as he disappeared into the car. Susan! Run! Susan! A security man leapt onto the running board, wrenching open the car door. Then another lunged forward, just managing to snatch Harbour away as the car sped off. I started running, though not away as I suspect Grandfather had meant. I started running after the car, as if in my confusion I believed I could keep pace with it. Grandfather! The ground swayed under me. I lost balance and fell into Pollitt's arms. Oh, steady, old girl. I felt very sick, and then I was. Uh, careful, these shoes are suede. Grandfather's been kidnapped. Yes, rather suspect they were after his chum. That was Harbour with him, wasn't it? Yes. Thought as much. Those security apes have whisked him off somewhere. Let's get you to a bench. We need to call the police. Are you sure? I'd worry about awkward questions if I were you. Foreigner new in town, rolling in money. Straight in there with top scientists speaking suspiciously good German. Minutes later, a botched kidnap of their number one man. I'd wager they're more likely to see you as a problem than offer a solution. Well, papers would look the tiniest bit fishy. They'll have you down for a spy. My papers probably aren't the best. I didn't want to admit I had none at all. Come back to mine. We'll sort something. I have friends who can help, I'm sure. But, Grandfather... Don't go with him, Fräulein. A sudden voice blurted. You shouldn't go anywhere with strangers. It was one of the children who'd shown me the cafe. <laughs> You're a very sensible, young man, but you needn't worry. Susan and I are friends. No, I'll stay here, thank you, Pollitt. I still don't feel well. I just need to sit and think. Something about Pollitt had just made me uneasy. <sighs> All right, but be careful, Susan. The police here aren't as reliable as at home. Half the time, they don't even get the time right. Children, see this lady's safe. They chorus they would, and Pollitt dropped a card into my hand. My club. Don't worry about your grandfather. I've contacts. I'm sure something can be done. I put the card in my pocket with Strittmatter's number, and Pollitt turned and walked away. I sat with the children a while, unsure what to do, struggling to gather my thoughts. Hesitantly, a small boy squeezed my hand. I know someone who can help better than the police, better organized. My big brother works with them. Really? Yes, the Sturmabteilen. They sort out all the bad people. The who? The SA. The brown shirts. Don't worry. They'll find your grandpa.
A little boy, who told me his name was Rudy, took me to Darlam train station. A silly, timbered building, gabled like a country cottage, and we headed into the centre of Berlin. Gradually as we travelled, I began to feel myself again. Rudy and his friends lived in a district called Mitte, but they came out to Darlam to earn a few pfennigs on the streets there. It was better than trying to earn money on the streets of Mitte, he said, and safer too. There were always wealthy people and men trying to impress ladies around Darlam's gardens and galleries, so you could make much more money doing errands and things there. The SA, as Rudy explained it, were brave young men who knew the established army and police were corrupt and lazy and had taken the safety of the people into their own hands. He told me excitedly how they'd broken up communist plots and protected the honest workers from saboteurs and racketeers and how very high up in the organization his brother Hans was. It all sounded so reasonable and normal and almost heroic from his child's point of view. He didn't mention Hitler or the Nazis at all. When Rudy introduced me to Hans, my disappointment was hard to disguise. He was a spotty boy who looked little older than me and somewhat ridiculous in his slightly too large uniform. It was only his red armband that stopped me laughing to his face. I already knew a little of what its swastika symbol would come to mean. Your grandfather has clearly been kidnapped by a gangster of some kind, said Hans. Even more obviously, he was taken in error and Fritz Haber was the intended target. He paced the kitchen of the tiny apartment Hans and Rudy shared with their parents, then stood warming his hands by the range oven. It looked like something he'd copied from a film. There are many crime syndicates at large in Berlin today, and I'm sure most would find a use for Herr Haber. He understands explosives, gas techniques, toxins, things the underground might wish to use against us. But how does that help us? Hans tutted impatiently. An older man's mannerism tried on for style. The underground is a network of secret guilds and conspiracies, Fräulein. All interwoven, commanded by powerful gang leaders. Information travels through it like stolen goods. Once it becomes known the wrong man was kidnapped, the news will spread rapidly. We merely need to apply a little pressure at the weakest points of the criminal chain and we'll soon learn your grandfather's captors. By we, Hans meant him and a couple of his friends, a broad, middle-aged man with a flattened nose and a big belly, and an athletic-looking young man, blonde and well-groomed, almost thal-like. He didn't seem to like me at all, but was happy to help me out in exchange for a few of my collection of banknotes. We set out together onto the streets at twilight. People were clearly wary of this mismatched trio in their uniforms and armbands, changing pavements or dashing into alleys to avoid our approach. Shouldn't we be more discreet? No, they're safer in uniform. People assume there are more of us close by. But we're scaring people. Good. An old man sitting at a corner was too slow to escape us. 
He had a small tray laid out beside him with a selection of bootlaces, but was in no condition to trade. Hans clearly knew him. Mech, he demanded, what have you heard about the kidnapping today? Mech didn't seem to have heard very much. I could offer a reward. I wish I could make something up to earn it, said Mech. Drink seemed to have left him incapable of guile. Fallen quite low in the beggar's guilt if you don't know the main business of the day. Mech just laughed. Beggar's guilt? Who have you been listening to, son? You think we carry cards with our number on? I could get Herman here to jog your memory, said Hans, tilting his head towards his friend with the broken nose. Herman stepped forwards, fists clenched, but the blonde man held him back with a hand on his shoulder. We're wasting time, he said. Meg won't know anything useful. Look at him. I wouldn't even trust him with a hot watch. Let's head to Nolendorfplatz. We'll find the type we're after there. I quickly agreed. Nolendorfplatz was teeming. Trams, cars and buses crisscrossed through its open square, halting, spilling out people and moving on. It seemed almost impossible the square could hold more people. Yet with each pausing vehicle, even more squeezed into the throng. Above them all, coloured lights flashed, casting shadows in all directions. A grand cinema on one side promised Conrad Veidt as the Black Hussar. A nightclub on the other proclaimed merely dancing. In between, any number of cabarets and beers shone their names into the darkness. Conversations halted and crowds parted as we approached. No one was keen to see brown shirts. In the slippy, cobbled back streets behind the square, dance bands and player pianos competed from cellar doorways. Hulking doormen and women with pale, powdered faces watched from every entrance. Steam seemed to pour up from underground. A man in a long fur coat approached us as we strode along. No trouble tonight, please, boys. We are a respectable club. He eyed the blonde man nervously. That boy you hurt, he has friends here. It could become heated. We're just looking for information, I said. Hans seemed put out that I'd spoken first, so I let him explain about Grandfather's kidnapping. The man in the big coat nodded slightly. He'd heard something about it, but he didn't have too much information just now. It'd take him a little while to discreetly learn more. This, it turned out, meant money. I handed over more of my banknotes. The pile was getting thinner. Tomorrow evening. I should know more then. Remind me, though, the details of this kidnap. I suddenly realized he was stringing us along. He didn't know anything at all yet. This is ridiculous, Hans. Don't you see? No one here knows anything. Least of all you. Hans's face turned pink and blotchy, his voice rising in pitch. Look around, girl, he said crossly. This whole part of town is built on illegal trade. These club doormen are supplied by men who send bigger thugs around if you won't pay for their services. Every other note that passes through the tills is either counterfeit or stolen. You can buy or sell anything on these streets. But that doesn't mean they all know each other's business. 
I know you'd like to think that there's an enemy out there orchestrating every crime, because that's reassuring in a way. But I don't think there is. It's all as messy and disorganized as everything else here. Hans sneered at me. You realize that's exactly what our enemies want us to believe? The conspirators are terrified their hidden hand has been seen. That people with the will to find them and root them out are coming to power. I don't believe you. Then who took your grandfather, child? Opportunistic thieves who stole his money and threw him in the river? Is that what you'd rather believe? It wasn't, of course. Watch yourself, girl. Your money won't last forever. When it runs out, you might find your safety does too. I turned my back and walked away. As I did, I heard slow applause. Pollitt! What are you doing here? Susan, simply everyone comes to the Nolly. Didn't you read my card? My club's just a few streets away. I rather assumed you were looking for it. Come on. I have information. Pollitt led me through rain-spattered streets to a nightclub entrance. For some reason, I'd imagined his club as something rather more sedate. The doorman let us pass without question, and we slipped through a beaded curtain. Inside, everything was red and gold. Thin figures swayed together under dim lights in clouds of cigar smoke and perfume. This way. He took me through a side door before I realized he'd locked it behind us. I have a private room. You weren't entirely fair with those poor Nazi boys, you know, Susan. Sorry, couldn't help overhearing. There's some highly organized crime here in Berlin. I like to feel I'm behind some of the best organized bits myself. You drugged me, didn't you? At the cafe? Yes, but not brilliantly, it seems. Must have misjudged the dosing. Chemistry is not as strong as yours, I suspect. Would you mind awfully if I had another go? Nothing in the coffee this time. Just a spot of chlorophyll. Uh, don't, don't, don't come near her, I'll scream! Dear girl, all sorts of yelling goes on in here. No one will bat an eyelid. These walls are quite uh, thick. <laughs> Would pointing a gun at you help? No! You, you don't want me dead. You wouldn't be so keen to drug me if you did. You want me alive! <laughs> True, but I'm quite happy to hurt you to get my way. A great deal if need be. When I came round, I was in a small, cold room, lit by an unshielded electric bulb. I was lying on rough sheets on a heavy iron bed, rain drumming against a small, dark window above me. I sat up to see Pollitt on a wooden chair across the room. Welcome back. I do hope you're sufficiently rested. Where are we? My lodgings. And where's Grandfather? Well, that surely depends on who's taken him, doesn't it? It's not you, then? I'm afraid not, but I'm extremely interested in who has. Do you know how hard it is to get to see Professor Harbour, Susan? Not very. We just sent a note and he came. Exactly. That's not normal. Harbour's a well-protected man, for several reasons. He's a Jew with international contacts. That means, no matter how much service he's given the nation, there are Germans who distrust him. Then there's his work. He's unlikely to be involved with weapons again, even if he were trusted enough. He's working in agriculture now, with pesticides, I believe. But there's been talk of other work, Susan. Work with gold. 
Work that would make the state keen to keep him well guarded. I don't know anything about that. Now, when you appear in town with large quantities of good quality gold, supposedly antique but obviously new, and then head off to see Herr Haber, people start to ask questions. People start to wonder if Haber's experiment succeeded. I don't know about what experiments you mean. Really? Are you sure? I'm not like those boys you've been touring round town with. I have a great deal of experience in extracting information. Well, you'll find out soon enough. I don't know anything! I can't tell you anything! I just want to find my grandfather! <sighs> you realise I'm going to have to test this resolve of yours, Susan? How is the gold extracted? I don't know! Who is Harper working with? I've no idea! Has Herr Einstein taken the secret to America? I don't know when is the adapted ship? Has Harbour's gold been used in reparations payments? Who else is aware of the project? I'm just trying to find my grandfather! <laughs> it was some hours before Pollitt gave up. I think by the end even he felt a little bad about what he'd put me through. He picked up his chair without a word and left the room, locking the door behind him. Once he'd gone, and I'd collected myself a little, I tentatively explored my room. It was empty, apart from the bed and an enameled jug with a little water inside. The window was fixed shut, but looking out, I could see I was high up in a tenement block, overlooking its inner courtyard. The architecture was too functional to climb down. No convenient ridges or handholds. I tried to imagine dropping down a floor at a time from window ledge to window ledge, but the rain and darkness made me unwilling to try it. Then I had an idea. The sheets on my bed were well worn and could be easily ripped. Torn into strips and knotted together, they might make a makeshift rope. I realised you'd have to be desperate to try and clamber down it. The material didn't look capable of taking even my weight, and the courtyard was a long way down. But it did give me a chance. It was a risky plan. I'd had to secure my sheet rope to the bedstead, smash the window with the enameled jug, and get the rope through before the breaking glass alerted Pollitt and any associates he might have. I needed to move fast. When the jug smashed the window, Pollitt came running just as I'd expected. He unlocked the door and saw my improvised rope pulled taut up from the frame of my bedstead and out of the window. That was when he made his mistake. Assuming the weight at the end of the rope was me, he ran to the window with his gun, slipping on the water I'd poured on the floor. But the weight on the rope wasn't me. It was the jug I'd broken the window with. I was hiding behind the door. Before Pollock could react, I was through it, slamming it behind me. To my delight, he'd left the key in it. I locked it and ran. As I did, I heard Pollitt shooting at the lock behind me. I darted through his apartment and out to the stairwell. It appeared he really was some kind of artist. The place was littered with half-finished canvases. I ran down the stairs and into the street and the cold and the rain. It was a terrifying night. I was lost, without money or friends, with no idea where I was or where I could go, always looking over my shoulder for Pollitt. Eventually I found another train station with a map outside and worked out a rough route back to the ship. 
keeping to side streets and avoiding other pedestrians, I slowly made my way through the city, feeling the hexagonal TARDIS key start to tingle slightly in my hand as I got closer. It wasn't a key shape then, you see. It changes shape like the ship does, or it should do anyway. I'd been lucky. If it had looked like a key, I'm sure Pollock would have taken it. I finally made it back to the safety of the ship in the early hours of the morning. I got myself dry and warm and applied some healing bandages before allowing myself an hour or two sleep. When I woke up, it was fully light. The strip matter was back behind the counter when I returned to his shop. I've bought more gold, Herr Strip Matter. I need your help. It was the last of our Augustan Ori. I told Strit Matter everything that had happened. Well, nearly everything. I left out a few things, just like I'm doing now, and explained I was going to go back to the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute. I need to find people who witnessed Grandfather's kidnap close up. See if I can get clues to what happened. Everyone seems to think it's connected with Hare Harbour somehow. Maybe I can contact him. <laughs> What if people won't talk? Well, hopefully this will sharpen their memories. Will you exchange it for me? Strip Matter agreed, bowing and bobbing behind his counter. <laughs> it can't be quite as much as last time, I'm afraid. It doesn't matter, as long as I've enough to get people talking. <laughs> oh, you've that all right. Don't worry. Fräulein, might I return to Dalem with you? It strikes me this is a dangerous mission you're undertaking. I'd feel happier if I were with you. I agreed, and once more we took Stritmatter's friend's car to the Institute. We pulled up around the corner, passing Rudy and his friends in the street as we turned. He waved, but I felt too awkward to wave back. He probably didn't know how I'd spoken to his brother. I'd imagine security's tight at the main entrance today. We'll find a back way. How? Lockpick. <laughs> it's a skill not unallied to my profession. There are laboratories around the back here somewhere. We took a little path between coppiced trees and through a gate behind the Institute. Strip matter seemed even more bent than usual as he darted to a side door and started applying his tools. A few minutes later, we were inside. We were in a long chemistry laboratory, not too unlike Mr. Chesterton's, just a little larger and fuller. I glanced around nervously, looking through the sea of retorts and stands to see if we were alone. Relax. It's hardly ever used. Not legitimately, anyway. How do you know? A few colleagues of mine borrow the resources out of ours occasionally. A talented jeweler can achieve a lot with a basic lab and some trusted associates. Surprising the apparent value you can add to goods with the right tricks. It's also a very useful place to store hot property. <gasps> Grandfather! <laughs> he was bound hand and foot to a chair inside the fume cupboard. His mouth firmly gagged, his whole body quivering with rage. Grandfather's eyes shot quickly from me to strip matter and back again. I wasn't surprised to find Strip Matter holding a gun. 
Now we are all reunited, I think it's time for a little talk. Would you care to tell me just how you produced your gold, Fräulein? We didn't produce it. We found it. Please, you're talking to an expert. That gold was only recently molded. It's new stuff you're attempting to pass off as old. Now, call me suspicious, but that makes me think you've access to Herr Haber's gold extraction process. We don't know anything about it. I'm not an idiot, Fräulein. Director Haber spent years on it. I'd always assumed he'd failed. But then you appear with all your freshly minted antiques wanting to visit Haber's institute. And I start to wonder if he's not quite the loyal German he's pretended to be these years. I start to wonder if he's been making gold for someone else all along. In short, you... It's all coincidence. Honestly. You see, that gold was supposed to stop this country's ruin. Everyone knew our war reparations had been deliberately set too high by the Allies. You wanted to destroy us economically. War by the back door. But our top men realized if we had a secret supply of cheap gold, we'd be saved. Looks like our mistake was trusting a Jew. Strip matter. If this project's supposed to be secret, how do you even know it exists? Spies and their informants do tend to talk to each other. Pollitt was at the door behind us, silhouetted in the sun. I suddenly realized what had been bothering me about Pollitt that I'd not quite worked out. He'd known about our gold all along without me even mentioning it. What spies do expect, however, is that their informants keep them properly informed. I really shouldn't have to follow my own employees around, working out how they're derailing my plans. Hey, Pollitt, I took the old man as a precaution. After I called you yesterday, I got to thinking. Then, when I saw him with Harbour, I... You took him to get his knowledge for yourself, and in the process compromised my attempt to take the girl and him together. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, Hippolyte. Harbour's gold is quite some prize. The money you give me, well, it's not quite enough to buy total loyalty, is it? No. Pollitt pulled a gun from his coat and fired. Strict Matter fell to the ground backwards, his own gun flying from his hand and clattering against the chemical cabinet. He landed sprawled at my feet, his back finally straightened in death. I trust you can see I mean business. Susan, why don't you let your grandfather join our chat? I loosened grandfather's gag while Pollitt watched. As soon as his mouth was free, Grandfather exploded in fury. Young man, you are laboring under a grave misapprehension. I can assure you, Susan and I have no knowledge. Pollitt put his gun to my head and a finger to his lips. Shh, now, old man. I'm sure you were very brave with Herr Strittmatter, but he really didn't have my training. Let's start talking sensibly. Grandfather could see Pollitt was prepared to kill to get his way and stopped arguing. What precisely do you wish to know, he asked. Just how to extract gold from seawater. <laughs> you too, but that's child's play, sir. A trifle. Gold is suspended throughout this planet's oceans. It's no more complex than sieving for it in the Rhine. The problem is that it cannot be done economically at present. The resources expended cost more than the metal produced. Ah, but I rather suspect you know how to make it economical. Well, there is a way, naturally, but 
Really, what purpose would sharing it serve? Pollitt let his gun barrel run down my cheek. Yes, quite. There's an advantage for us, naturally. But if the secret of cheap gold extraction became known, gold would become plentiful, yes? Its value would drop so much, the process would become uneconomic again. Not if gold was plentiful only for those who knew the secret. Ah, secrets, of course. You're a spy. Yes, for whom? SIS, British Secret Service. Oh, so you work for Britain? For the most part, I work for myself. I wish I could help you, sir. You may be aware there's another war on the way. Of course you are. That's why you're here, spying so very assiduously. But I can't help thinking that if any of the powers who might become involved in that war were to know the secret of cheap gold, well, it might give them an unfair advantage. I can't allow that. Paulet nodded. I see. Let's try another tack. He took the gun from my head and placed it against Grandfather's. Perhaps you'll tell me how it's done, Susan. Don't breathe a word, Susan. This secret could change the outcome of the Second World War. Prevent it, even. If it does, some of the greatest advances in science won't happen on the back of it. Would that be so bad? Yes. I looked at him, held there at gunpoint, defiant but helpless. All right, Pollitt. I'll help. Remember the Blitz, child. If we undo events we've already been a part of, Ontological chaos follows. I ignored him. It's quite a simple chemical procedure, really. I can demonstrate it easily enough. It's just an accelerated anionic cohesion in electrolytic suspension. Pollitt hadn't lied the night before. He really didn't understand much chemistry. I strode over to the chemical cabinet by the wall and picked out two or three jars. I can show you an analogous process here. I threw the jars down all at once. They shattered, spreading their contents across the floor. A powdery solid fizzed fiercely in a pool of liquid, producing clouds of gas. Pollitt swung his gun towards me. Don't shoot! That's concentrated hydrogen. One spark and you'll blow us all sky high. Pollitt hesitated, just long enough for me to throw another jar towards him. He flinched, dropping his gun, and as he did, I scrambled on the ground for strip matters. Now! Untie my grandfather or I'll kill you! But the hydrogen, you'll blow us up. Oh dear me, undone by chemical ignorance. <laughs> Talking of undoing. I kept Strickmatter's gun trained on Pollitt as he loosened grandfather's bonds. If you plan to make a career from deception, young man, you really must learn to spot when people are lying to you. I would personally advise you to adopt a nobler calling. No amount of gold can justify murder. We took Pollitt's gun. Grandfather picking it up with disgust and left him with Strickmatter's body. You'll remain here for one half hour, sir. Do not attempt to follow us. We will not hesitate to kill you if you do so. He didn't mean it, of course, but he said it very convincingly, so Pollitt would think he did. I know you still don't quite believe me, Barbara, but honestly, Grandfather was never truly that cold-hearted. Out on the street, I led Grandfather to the silly Gable train station a few streets away. I didn't trust either of us with Stripmatter's car. On the way, we ran into Rudy, playing near the Institute. Oh, you found your Grandpapa. I knew he could help. I gave him all the money I had left, except a little for the train. His eyes widened. I'm afraid this is all I have to say thank you with. 
It's wonderful, Rudy replied, grinning at all the silly bits of paper. I knew he meant it, and I felt something stir in me. For a moment I wanted to stay. I could see something better could be built there, something I could be part of creating. I hesitated, but Grandfather was still walking on, so I just waved Rudy goodbye and left. I still can't help wondering what happened to him when the war came. I suspect he was old enough to fight. I've read a little bit about what happened to Fritz Haber since then. He was forced to flee Germany when Hitler seized power at the end of the month, and he died in exile a year later. Even though he'd renounced his religion, the Nazis still didn't trust him. In your day, lots of people think he's a monster because he made poison gases in the First World War and because of the pesticides he worked on. Years later, something based on them was used to kill people. Hundreds of thousands of people. But he never knew that would happen. I know he made weapons, but I do think he spent most of his career trying to make things better. He made fertilizers that saved billions of lives, and they used them to make explosives. He tried to make his country rich, and we ended up fighting over the rumor he'd succeeded. He went back to agriculture, and they used his chemicals to wipe out people like bugs. History has a way of turning what you do into something else, I think. Those funny little men at Harbour's Colloquium? They were the people who learned to split the atom eventually. Reverse alchemists who could turn gold into lead. Grandfather, if Harbour's gold process had worked, might it have prevented the war? Grandfather was fussing around in his workroom. Perhaps, he suggested. If Germany had been more financially secure, then yes, perhaps it might have looked for its leaders elsewhere. And if we'd given Harbour an efficient version of it in January 1933, just cheated a little, given him a hand, might that have changed things even then? Who knows? Maybe. But it's an idle thought, Susan. We've seen the war, already hidden from its bombs. If we'd changed that future, we would have unpicked the whole flow of history, Earth's and our own. Would that be so very bad, though? Grandfather looked haunted. Worse than you can imagine. Awful as it is, we have seen the war happen, and it must continue to do so. I promise you this, though. The world that follows, it is a better one. One of these days, I'll show you. I left him patting his silly packing case. <sighs> Perhaps we'll find somewhere you can rest a while. I really don't need to, I called back but it was as if he'd not been talking to me. I wonder what happened to that case. I think we must have left it in the 1960s. Anyway, I suppose the short version of what I'm telling you is, I think sometimes even the worst things happen for reasons. And if we'd stopped the war, well, the world you and Ian grew up in would never have existed, and I'd never have known you. So, if I'm ever not here make sure you all look to the future not rip up your lives going into the past and please do look after grandfather he's a good man truly your friend susan <laughs> Oh.
Hello, I'm David Richardson. I'm the producer of The Companion Chronicles, and you've been listening to The Alchemists. And I've got with me Caroline Ford, who plays Susan, uh, Wayne Forrester, who plays Strit Matter and Pollitt, and Lisa Bowerman, what directed it? Hello. Hi. (laughs) I'm going to start with Carol. Hello. Um, You've always said that you preferred the historical Doctor Who stories, the ones That's without the monsters. Correct. You do not lie. Yes, ah. that is correct. <laughs> so we've, we've done you one without monsters. You so have indeed, it? yes. I can hardly believe it. <laughs> Mind you, the Nazis are pretty monstrous. <laughs> well, yes, yeah. But it's a different take on the true, same kind of True, very true, very true. Isn't it? And I haven't had to play one alien voice. No. Amazing. Not at all. Not at all, at all, at all. So have you enjoyed immersing yourself in this little period of history? Yes, it is a fascinating time, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's funny to think of it as history. I mean, it is a long time ago, but it doesn't really seem like it. I mean, we're so immersed in everything to do with the war all the time, aren't we? I mean, for heaven forbid, we should forget it all. Obviously not, but they do love it, don't they? It makes It's so filmic. <laughs> they make so many wonderful films about it. Yeah, and it's, it's also a good point to do a drama as well, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. rich in... And, of course, they've got loads of documentary on it. Yeah. I mean, it's such an easy period to source, really, isn't it? True, true, true. And uh, we've set this before the telly show started, so you didn't yeah. have to do Ian and Barbara's voices I this didn't. time. I didn't. <laughs> I'm feeling quite bereft, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Missing a couple. <laughs> uh, you've got your doctor down to a fine art now, haven't you? Well, have I? I wouldn't say I, so. I, no. I, think, yeah. I don't think I ever will. <laughs> Bill had a very, very... Um, unique way of speaking and performing, very unique. Quite difficult, I mean, as a woman to do, because he actually had quite a high register, and it's very tempting to do, to go up into his flights of fancy, his very funny, strange way of presenting. But then if you do that, you lose the masculinity of it, so it's really quite (laughs) difficult. But then if you bring him down, you start ruining your throat. (laughs) (laughs) You've had lots of voices in this one as well, haven't you? Lots of different characters. Just a few, yes, yes. Thank God we had lovely Wayne to take some (laughs) off my hands. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Wayne, thank you. How do you prep for something like this, Carol? How do you prepare? Um, well, if it involves an accent, uh, as in the last one, which was a Spanish accent, or this one, which is a German accent, thank God we had Wimbledon and we had <laughs> Boris, Boris Becker. Get a little touch of Boris Becker in every song. That's so true. Yeah. So are you prepared by watching Wimbledon? <laughs> that's right. That's, that, what you that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> I'm going to come over to Wayne. Your, ah. your very first Doctor Who. It was, yes, it? Uh, yes, absolutely, yeah. It's me. That was He's a been baptized. huge honour, baptised. <laughs> ah. So tell us about your day. How's it been? Yeah, it's been great fun. We've had, we'd have had a good laugh, and I've been transported back to my childhood a little bit, <laughs> hiding behind the the sofas watching watching Doctor Who on a Saturday night. Mm. Goodness me, yeah, they were they were they were real. It was real sort of event television there, then. I suppose because we only had three channels. Then back in the old days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it seems to me, you know, more present than ever now. Doctor Who, it's sort of bigger, and you know, you can't get away from it. It's massive. <laughs> um, but no, it's been it's been great fun, and uh, you know, great to great to do some uh, funny accents and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and good fun. Uh, 
you are a stranger to Doctor Who, but no stranger to science fiction. Tell us all about the different things you've done. Well, it's true. I mean, it's not by design, but, you know, it never is in this business. You sort of stumble on, onto things, and um, I guess since... I started out doing... I did Thunderbirds on stage, you know, for a long for a long time, and then went and worked on... Uh, uh, Jerry Anderson's um, space precinct, which was a, that was that was a strange and interesting job playing uh, alien of the week in rubber, rubber heads, uh, and uh, did Captain Scarlet the new series of that. Um, so yeah, it's always been there. It's the the kind of the, the long the longer running jobs have have always been you know sci-fi based, and uh, the, you know the good the great thing about uh, you know just doing voice. The voice workers, you can play such a range of characters. I mean, I'd never get cast as a hero in anything, if it was in vision, you know. <laughs> but you can, oh, but you can, you can, you can, you can get away with it uh, with your voice. And uh, and what was what's been nice about you know working on this production is you you know you get to do two completely different characters. And one thrown in for free. Mm. And one and one thrown two? in for free. Two, two, yes. Two. Was it three? Yes, indeed. No, no, yeah. oh, okay. Uh, Rudy, was it Rudy or the little German guy? <laughs> but uh, yes, I'm, yes. Frightened he may sound a little bit like a cartoon character, but I'm sure <laughs> that'll be treated beautifully. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's difficult to uh, try. You've got to try and stay away from the cliches with ge with German. <laughs> that's the only. That's the thing. I, I did, hello, hello. I did look on uh, YouTube last night, and there were lots of people saying, "Okay, this is how to do a German accent." <laughs> <laughs> no problem with the, with the th sounds. <laughs> is that? And all, all the, oh yes, I'm okay, fine. <laughs> um, and. Uh, Good fun doing Pollitt because it's my chance to be in a 1930s film you know, <laughs> and just tr speak very Great quickly. Great Gatsby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll have lots more characters for you to play, won't we, Lisa? Mm. Well, yes. thank you very much. Do we have anything to do with it? Yes. <laughs> yes. It'll be a pleasure. And over to Lisa. Um, Hello. I've period drama I hooray i love period dramas i'm a bit i'm a bit like harold the opportunity to you know have fun with a with a proper in situ period drama you can embrace it and of course in this uh, era is full of excitement so i mean it is very much the era of cabaret and uh, extreme night you know all those nightclubs and all the slightly loose entertainment you used to get and don't look over your glasses no. <laughs> not that i know anything about it of course i just no. uh, it's just historically it's very good there's also one particular scene where she goes out where um susan goes out into the kind of back streets and there's some wonderful stage directions of all the sounds coming out of the different clubs and i think that we can really play with that and and that is so evocative. And uh, are we going to have Liza Minnelli? <laughs> no, we'll be getting Marlene Dietrich. <laughs> so um, you know, with uh, bands and yeah. all that kind of musical box stuff. I mean, there's there's such a mix of cultures in Germany at that time, anyway. And I, I think that that'll sound pretty damn good on audio. Yeah. It's interesting you say that actually, because when I was thinking of. This one I was thinking wasn't going to be one that was going to be intricate in terms of sound design, but actually, yeah, it's it layering, is, isn't it? yeah, it's, it's, it's and all those street scenes because it's not only that, but it's 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 a bit of kind of although it what that was post war. There's a, there's a bit of the third man about it as well, sort of mm. dank back streets. I know that was Vienna steam and coming that. out of the bridge. Yes, it's the whole of that kind of tunnels and dark yeah. uh, dark shadows. It's a sort of radio film noir, if there's such a thing. Even though that was, I know, technically a, a few kind of decade later, but no, this one I, I think because there's a very dark underside. To this extremely mm. dark and i think mm. we have to embrace that absolutely 
Um, and this one is out in 2013.